Hi everyone, welcome back to Please Correlate. My name is Jenny and I'm a radiology reg working in the UK. These are my FRCR 2A revision notes, which I've popped on here, mainly for myself, so I can listen to them on the go, but also in case anyone else might find them useful. This episode is on congenital heart disease. I've used a variety of sources for this information, which I'll put in the information section, but obviously if you see any errors or inaccuracies, then please do let me know. So let's get into it. So interestingly, the incidence of any developmental malformation of the heart is thought to be about 8 per 1,000. Uh, we'll split them into two parts to start with. So we'll look firstly at the cyanotic conditions. We'll start with tetralogy of fallow. This is the most common cyanotic cause, affecting 1 in 2,000. Pathologically, this is caused by malalignment of the muscular outlet septum. So you get right ventricular outflow tract obstruction and right ventricular hypertrophy. You get a subaortic ventricular septal defect and an overriding aorta. The result is of decreased pulmonary flow and a right to left shunt. There's a number of potential extracardiac associations, which are seen in about 15% of patients. These would include congenital lobar emphysema, de George syndrome, fetal rubella, prune belly syndrome, tracheal esophageal fistulas, and bacterial associated conditions. Radiologically, ultrasound is the modality of choice to assess this. Um, however, cardiac MR may also be used. On chest X-ray, the classic sign is a boot-shaped heart. This appearance is formed by an upturned cardiac apex and a right-sided aortic arch is seen in 25% of patients. You also see pulmonary oligemia due to reduced flow. Moving on to transposition of the great arteries. So this is the second most common cyanotic cause and it's more often seen in children born of women with maternal diabetes. Here the aorta arises from the right ventricle and the pulmonary trunk arises from the left ventricle so they've essentially been swapped over. This is incompatible with life as you'd get deoxygenated blood continually going around the systemic circulation and oxygenated blood only going around the pulmonary circulation uh, unless the child has either an ASD which is uncommon a VSD, which is seen in about 35% of patients, a patent ductus arteriosus, which is a very unstable situation as this closes after a few days of life, or a patent promenavali, which again is unstable because this closes shortly after birth. Radiologically, you might see cardiomegaly, and the contour is classically described as egg on a string with apparent narrowing of the superior mediastinum. It can be assessed with ultrasound, CTA or MRA, and the treatment was traditionally done with procedures called a mustard repair or a senning repair, but is now treated with arterial switch procedures. Moving on to congenitally correct transposition of the great arteries. So this is rare, and this is where further swapping has taken place. So this is where both the atria and the ventricles and the ventricles and the arteries are all sort of discoordinated. So here you get the right atrium connecting to the left ventricle, which connects to the pulmonary artery, which goes to the lung. And then you get the left atrium going to the right ventricle, which passes through to the aorta. So although this sort of order is abnormal, you do get pul separate pulmonary and systemic circuits. Patients may be asymptomatic, but they can be uh, cyanotic, uh, present with cardiac congestive failure, fatigue easily, or exertional dyspnea. As I mentioned above, it's not necessarily cyanotic. However, the majority of patients have other cardiac defects, most commonly a ventricular septal defect or pulmonary valve stenosis. 
our tricuspid anomalies in about 20%. Even without these features, the right ventricle is having to supply the systemic circulation, um, which it's obviously not built for, and therefore you might get right ventricular failure anyway. Radiologically, on the chest x-ray, you may see mesocardia, which is midline and long axis of the heart in the mid-sagittal plane, or levocardia, which is the heart on the correct side, but related structures on the wrong side. If there is additionally a ventricular septal defect, then you might see pulmonary plethora and cardiomegaly. Cross-sectional imaging may help determine vascular relationships. Moving on to pulmonary atresia, this is defined as the lack of luminal continuity and absence of blood flow from the right ventricle to the pulmonary artery. In its severe form, there is partial or complete absence of the native pulmonary arteries. There are two subtypes. There is pulmonary atresia with a ventricular septal defect. This is the more common, and some consider this to be a severe form of tetralogy of fallow. There is a subaortic VSD, an overriding aorta, and the pulmonary blood flow, major aortopulmonary collaterals. On chest x-ray, the heart size may be normal or slightly increased, and you may get diminished pulmonary artery vascular markings and a mottled appearance from peripheral collaterals. The second subtype, which is less common, is the pulmonary atresia with intact ventricular septum. Here you get right ventricular hypoplasia, a dilated right atrium, and the patients have a patent formulavale or PDA, and on chest x-ray you'd see cardiomegaly. CT with contrast or cardiac MR may help define the anatomy. You can get a double outlet right ventricle, where both the aorta and the pulmonary artery are mostly or entirely from the right ventricle. The left ventricle has no direct outlet. If there is a VSD, then it may pass blood to the right ventricle. If there is no VSD, then you get a hypoplastic left ventricle. You can get a common arterial trunk, also called truncus arteriosus. This is a single arterial trunk which arises from both ventricles and overrides a large ventricular septal defect. So here the systemic pulmonary and coronary arteries all arise from this trunk. And obviously you get mixed streams of oxygenated and deoxygenated blood within the trunk. Type 1 is where the pulmonary artery arises from the trunk and quickly divides. Type 2 is where the right and left pulmonary arteries arise directly from the trunk posteriorly. And in type 3 they arise laterally. 40% of truncal arches pass through on the right. Okay, so next we have total anomalous pulmonary venous return. So here, all the pulmonary veins connect to the systemic circulation instead of via the pulmonary veins to the right atrium. You get an atrial septal defect, which allows the blood to reach the left side of the heart. If it's a partial anomalous pulmonary venous return, then the patients are acyanotic. There's a couple of different classifications. So you can get supracardiac, which is about half of patients. So here you get venous return at the level of the SVC or above. And the pulmonary veins form a confluence to form a vertical vein, which goes into the left anomalous. Here on chest x-ray, you see the classic snowball sign where the left border is formed from a dilated vertical vein. Another form you can get is cardiac, which, which accounts for 20%, and here you get drainage directly into the coronary sinus or the right atrium. You can get infracardiac, which again is another 20%, and this is where the blood passes through the esophageal hiatus, through the diaphragm, and drains into the hepatic IVC, the hepatic vein, or the portal vein. And then you can get the mixed type, which is 
as the name suggests, a mixture of all the above types. On chest x-ray, otherwise you might see a normal-sized heart with pulmonary edema. You can get a single or tingle ventricle. Uh, the double outlet right ventricle can be considered one form of this. There is a huge variety of causes and appearances. Um, for example, if you get a sufficiently large ventricular septal defect, then this could count. Um, it can also be intended post-surgical correction of other abnormalities. The result is kind of obviously that all the circulation is supported by one single ventricle. So moving on to acyanotic forms of congenital heart disease. So firstly, we have atrial septal defect, which is the most common heart defect to be first detected in adulthood. It causes a left to right shunt, right atrial dilatation and right ventricular overload and is a risk factor for thromboembolic stroke as clots coming up from the legs can pass straight through the heart and then up into the brain. There are a number of different types. A patent thrombonavali is classed as a subtype of the osteum secundum defect. You also get osteum primum defects, sinus venosus defects and coronary sinus defects. The chest x-ray can be normal if early or if there's only a small defect, but you can get a enlarged right atrium or ventricle with signs of increased pulmonary flow. Next we have ventricular septal defects. This causes left to right shunting. The larger the defect, kind of quite obviously, then you get more prominent symptoms. Small VSDs may close on their own, and they're most commonly seen in the perimembranous region of the ventricular septum. Most patients present within the first month of life as the pulmonary vascular resistance falls. You get volume overload of the left side of the heart with left atrial and ventricular dilatation. Chest x-ray changes can take a long time to become apparent, but you may see cardiomegaly, increased pulmonary flow and splaying of the carina due to an increase in size of the left atrium. If the large ventricular septal defect is not repaired, then you're at risk of Eisenmenger syndrome, which is where you get pulmonary hypertension and reversal of the shunt direction. This is rare nowadays as most patients undergo surgery. Next condition is a patent ductus arteriosus. Fetally, this connects the pulmonary artery to the aortic arch and the PDA normally constricts after birth due to changes in blood pH. It should close within a couple of days and is more common to be still patent in premature babies. If it remains patent, then you can get a left to right shunt from the aorta to the pulmonary artery, and this results in increased pulmonary blood flow and dilatation of the left side of the heart. Symptoms are dependent upon the size and length of the PDA. Large PDAs produce a machine-like murmur on auscultation. Chest x-ray may show features of congestive heart failure from days 7 to 10. Moving on to coarctation of the aorta. So this is defined as luminal narrowing of a short section of aorta, it's most often seen at the site of a ductus arteriosus. If it's severe, then systemic circulation is compromised when the PDA closes in the first few days of life. And if it's less severe, then you get renal mechanisms of blood pressure control, which results in hypertension and collateral vessel formation. Radiologically, it is assessed using ultrasound in children, but cardiac MR, MRA or CT can be used also. Secondary pathological features that can be seen with coarctation of the aorta include aortic root dilatation with bicuspid aortic valves seen in about 15% or aortic valve incompetence and stenosis. Moving on to interrupted aortic arch. This is defined as a discontinuity between the ascending and descending aorta. 
Systemic flow is via a patent ductus arteriosus, which is obviously deoxygenated, and you get a sinus lower body. As this closes, the lower body vascular supply becomes compromised. There's a few different types. So there's type A, which is interruption to the left of the left subclavian. Then you get type B, which is disruption between the left common carotid and the left subclavian, which this accounts for about half of patients. And then you get type C, which is rare, and this is interruption proximal to the left common carotid. On chest x-ray, you may see cardiomegaly or absence of a aortic knuckle. Other arch abnormalities, so you can get left-sided, right-sided or double aortic arches. Vascular rings can be formed depending on the morphology in terms of arch location and its branches. But if a vascular rim is formed, then it can cause compression of the trachea or esophagus with symptoms of strider or dysphasia. Imaging, cross-sectional imaging may help to demonstrate the anatomy, but it's useful to bear in mind that some of the vessels causing the vascular sling may no longer be actually patent, so it could be the ligamentum arteriosus, um, which you'd see as a dimple or diverticulum. Moving on to valve disease, so of the aortic valve, most of the problems you would get are congenitally stenotic, um, this leads to an increased pressure in the left ventricle and hypertrophy. If you do get aortic valve regurgitation, this tends to be post-treatment for stenosis or due to other conditions such as aortic root dilatation from Marfan's. With the pulmonary valve, you can get pulmonary valve stenosis and this results in increased pressure of the right ventricle with right ventricular hypertrophy. On chest x-ray, you might see an enlarged right atrium and right ventricle, and you may see calcifications of the pulmonary valve. You can get pulmonary valve regurgitation, and here you see volume loading, dilatation and dysfunction with right ventricular enlargement and features of congestive heart failure. You can get Epstein's abnormality of the tricuspid valve, which is congenital, and here the septal and mural leaflets are more anteriorly placed, and you get a regurgent tricuspid valve and atrialization of the right ventricle. If it's severe, then you can get right atrial enlargement and right atrial increase in pressure. It's associated with ASDs, a right-to-left shunt and cyanosis. On chest x-ray, you may see cardiomegaly and a prominent or curved right atrial border. Just a final section now on the coronary arteries. So there's huge variations, both in terms of where each coronary artery arises from, but also the course that it takes. The most important ones I personally feel to be aware of are those that can take a malignant course. So the examples of these mainly are the right coronary artery arising from the left main stem. And if it takes an interarterial or malignant course, this is where it passes between the aorta and pulmonary artery. Or kind of vice versa, when you get the left coronary artery arising from the right side. And again, if it passes between the aorta and the pulmonary artery, especially upon increase in exertion, you can get ischemia and sudden death. You can also get the left coronary artery arising from the pulmonary artery. This is turned al kappa. And here the left coronary artery is supplied with low pressure and deoxygenated blood. And patients can get symptoms of ischemia four to five months into life when the pulmonary vascular resistance drops. In order to survive, patients either need good collaterals or surgical intervention. 
cardiac MR or CT angiography is used to assess the anatomy. Okay, so that's everything for this episode. Hopefully you guys found it useful and I'll see you next time.